Hi, this is Bill Cates, and welcome to your July-August edition of Voices of Experience. This is my last Voices of Experience. Many people have commented on how much work this must have been for me, but I must say, working on VOE has truly been a labor of love. I want to thank Kristen Arnold for allowing me the opportunity. I want to thank Rocky Heyer with Master Video Disc and Design for his expert editing, making each VOE sound just right. And I want to thank Barbara Paris, my liaison with NSA, for her support. First up is Terry Brock. Terry has consistently delivered a valuable segment each and every VOE. What do you have for us this month, Terry? Hi, this is Terry Brock reporting for Voices of Experience, and I've got some goodies I want to share with you. Some real tools are going to help you take your professional speaking business up to the next level. You ever go out to that meeting where you take pictures of you and the meeting planner and others that are there, and then you want to send them to them later? Well, a quick and easy way to do that now is with Postagram, P-O-S-T-A-G-R-A-M. Postagram, you load on your iPhone, take a picture of you, the other person, take a picture of whatever, and then you get their physical physical snail mail mailing address and you can send it to them for 99 cents anywhere in the world 99 cents to anywhere in the world it sends that picture really looks nice very impressive you can put a little note with it as well and in the united states it arrives within two to three days overseas they say it could be four or five days depends on where it's coming from but really really nice another tool that i would recommend highly is some kind of a vpn vpn is virtual private network hey you're out there in the world and there's bad guys that would love to jump on your computer or ipad or smartphone and find out what you're typing or find out your passcodes and find out the proprietary information that you have. And they can do that in many cases. A virtual private network, VPN, is something you want to look into. That's another hour discussion or so, but just make a note that it's going to be very important. People have lost a lot of details. I'm using one right now. I've used one called uh, Ytopia. Very good. I've also used Strong VPN, and there's several others out there. Find one that works for you. Number three, Genius Scan is another great one. Hey, when I'm reading books, particularly like at the library or I'm at a friend's place and I'm borrowing a book and reading it, I often find there's something really good. And I found they don't like it when I rip the page out of the book or mark it up, you know, for some funny reason. They don't like that at the library. A better way to do it is with Genius Scan. This is an app you get, and it takes a picture of the actual page in the book. You just hold up your iPhone, take a picture of the page using Genius Scan, and hey, it comes out looking great. And then Genius Scan takes it and can work with it so that it comes out in a very nice way so that now you've got that page. It's kind of like you tore it out, but you didn't really do it. More like those spy movies that are really cool, but we won't get into that right now. Number four, here's a real good one, World Card Mobile. World Card Mobile gives you the ability to do a similar thing to Genius Scan, only it takes a picture of a business card. And then it does the OCR, the optical character recognition, meaning that it puts it into your database, your address book, your contact management program, right there on your iPhone. And of course, you can transfer it from there to another database like ACT or Outlook or address book or uh, salesforce.com, whatever you're going to use. But this way, it's like having that portable scanner with you right there on your iPhone. I wouldn't use it for hundreds of business cards, but it would be very important when you've got those two or three real important business cards, and you don't want to lose those at all. Don't risk a chance of that. Get a picture of them. They'll go safely into the cloud, and you've got it, and it works really well. 
And finally, number five, I've got one that's going to help you. After all this work, you sometimes need to just kick back and relax or listen to some audio that you want. Audio Press is a great little tool for that. You can download the app Audio Press and it'll play radio stations from around the world so you can listen to the radio station back home, find out what's going on, listen to your favorite sports team, etc. And you can listen to a lot of good audio podcasts that are educational related. So after all that work, you can go for it. And speaking after all that work, hey, it's been a wonderful time being with you this year here on Voices of Experience. Got to really thank my buddy Bill Cates, who put up with me and helped me through a lot of fun things as we work together on it. And he's not really as bad as everyone says. He really is pretty good, you know, sometimes. But uh, hey, Bill, thanks a bunch. Really appreciate you and you as a VOE listener and NSA member and PSA member, wherever you are in the world. Thank you very much. So reporting for Voices of Experience from Orlando, Florida, this is Terry Brock. Thanks, Terry. I'm going to have to go back and listen to that segment again. Too many ideas, if that's possible. Next up is Jill Conrath, author of Selling to Big Companies and Snap Selling. With me again for VOE is Jill Conrath for our final segment on how to reach and sell to large corporate clients. Jill is the author of Snap Selling and Selling to Big Companies, so she certainly is the expert in this area. Jill, I know that most people in in a sales mode are always struggling with this uh, fine line between being a pest and being professionally persistent. So, you know, how do we launch the campaign? How do we think in terms of the campaign? When do we give up, et cetera? Everybody's afraid of being a pest, and I totally understand that. And the last thing we want to do also is appear pathetic, like like we're desperate for business as well. So there's a lot of things we need to think about. But first of all, I need people to realize that in today's business environment, it is taking oftentimes 10 to 12 contacts to get in touch with somebody. And that's a lot. And we need to know that from the beginning. Most people I see are giving up after three to five contacts. They're thinking if they do that, clearly the person on the other end of the line isn't interested in what they're doing. And they they may not be, especially if they're not leaving a good voicemail message or a good email message. Um, but if they have good messaging, they need to keep at it for a length of time, and it needs to be once a week, once every two weeks. I would say more often if you discover a trigger trigger event of something that's going on in their organization that you know that will create a problem or an issue or challenge for them, at that point you might want to speed up the the contacts and, and do it much more frequently. But the reality of it is you don't want to keep calling and sound like a broken record and say the same thing over and over again, um, or calling to touch base. I mean, the worst thing, the, the, the most irrelevant thing, I mean, if we're trying to be aligned with their business objective and focus on priority issues and sound like we're a valuable resource, the last thing we want to do is say, I'm just touching base to see if you got my previous email. Every single message that we email or say on the phone to our prospective clients must contain something of value. It must show that we're helping them achieve their business objectives or that we have information or insights that are important to them. That being said, I would say one of the first things that speakers can do is think about their website as this hub for great information. And we have written numerous articles, many of us who are experts who speak. We have articles that are of relevance to people. We have white papers. We have ebooks, We have podcasts. We have um, 
YouTube segments. We have a lot of different things that we've done that showcases and demonstrates our expertise. And so the key is to get in touch with people and always offer good information to them. And so we might say, Bob, I know that one of your major issues in the upcoming year is how to increase the productivity of your supply chain. I I recently wrote a white paper on my website. Here's a link to it. Thought it might be helpful. Something very short, very sweet, driving them to a white paper that you wrote on the topic, hoping that they'll download it. Now, by the way, I'd like to say that there are some email programs out there now that allow you to to actually track to see if people have opened your message as well, which um, people should think about too. But we want to drive people into our world, and I call my websites Jill's World. I want to drive them to Jill's World because there they have a chance once they're there to poke around a little bit. And so we need to think, how can we map out a campaign to go after these people? And we actually can do it from the get-go. So if we're going after a division of GE or a division of 3M, I could actually plan my 8 to 10 to 12 contacts from the onset and, and decide which things I'm going to refer to. And I might call them up on the phone and I might say, Bill, Jill Conrath getting back to you. I know that one of your big challenges this year is reducing the supply chain cost. As I mentioned um, in my previous email, I've done a lot of work in this area. I thought you might be interested in this upcoming webinar I'm doing on this topic. Here's the link to sign up and register. Again, consistently providing value in every single contact, not calling... I'm just checking in. What you want to do is think, how can I show and demonstrate my expertise to them without selling, giving them a chance to look at it, read it, listen to it um, on their own time, and uh, get a feel for who you are and how you might help their organization. That's what we need to do from a keep-in-touch perspective. It's being, as you say, politely persistent, but it's also being highly relevant in our persistence and giving them information that they can use each and every time. And by the way, I'd like to say one more, one more thing on that topic. Um, what I see a lot, of, a lot of people do who are new to selling is to try to demonstrate a lot of their expertise in one fell swoop. And so they may send an email that has links to three different things that the, the prospect might be interested in. Or it might have um, an attachment of three case studies that we've done with our, with our client base. And the more that we send crazy busy people, the less likely they are to do anything. And so, again, think of one thing per message, just one thing per message, and you'll have a much better chance of having it read and having uh, it be acted on. That's great insight. Jill Conrath, thank you so much for the segments you've produced for VOE to help our members sell to large corporations. Well, there's nothing like landing a large client. I mean, it, it um, truthfully, it gives you the credibility you need in the marketplace, and it makes all your other sales much easier because once you get your foot in the door, there are so many places you can go within the organization that it can literally make your year and make your decade. So, are you a pest? Are you pathetic? Or are you professionally persistent, providing value along the way? Thanks, Jill, for another great segment. So with me for VOE right now is Joe Polish. Many of you have not heard of Joe before, but Joe is an accomplished information marketer, speaker, entrepreneur. And Joe, uh, tell us a little bit about how you get, got started in this business to begin with, because it's, I think it's a pretty interesting story. Um, I got started back in 1992 when I read this uh, marketing newsletter by this crazy copywriter by the name of Gary Halbert. Quite a brilliant guy, uh, also a little little wacky and deranged, but just uh, brilliant in the area of, of, of marketing. And that led me uh, into the subject of direct response marketing. And I was a dead broke carpet cleaner living off credit cards, uh, trying to figure out how to make the uh, business you know work. But I didn't know how to sell uh, my services. And so I uh, quickly learned that in spite of being certified 
that in spite of having gone through training and, you know, most people are not even think in the carpet cleaning industry, there's training. So my study of marketing was really uh, a necessity because I needed to eat. And uh, so I, I, I came across this newsletter by Gary Halbert and it talked about things in ways that I'd never learned from any other marketing books or anything that I learned from my short uh, stint at going to college. And by the way, I'll preface this by saying I, I have run a multi-million dollar business for many, many years. I've sold millions of dollars of information products and I failed owning and operating a small business at, a, at Chandler Gilbert Community College in Arizona. And so I've got no college degrees. I've got no advantages or certifications that should supposedly qualify me to be the, the person that I that I am. I, you know, I, I have a, I'm a $20,000 a day consultant, blah, blah, blah. So the, the, the reason I bring that up is that um, you can learn, you can do a lot financially uh, if you learn information marketing and if you learn direct response marketing. So I started applying marketing strategies to this small cleaning business, uh, such as uh, creating education-based marketing systems like consumer awareness guides, uh, 24-hour free recorded messages, uh, endorsement relationships, and this was before the internet. These were just marketing tools and techniques that I learned, and they turned this small business around. I went from $2,100 a month gross uh, to over $12,000 a month um, in a matter of six months simply by changing the message. And I learned that the difference between a $1 bill and a $100 bill is the message on the paper. Change the message, change the response. And I fell in love with marketing. It was fascinating to me that you could actually change the headline or you can write something on a business card or you can drive people to a free recorded message and they can listen to a robotic educational message and they would call you up after listening to it and, and they no longer asked how much do you charge. They asked when could you book the job and that these marketing systems would sift, sort, and screen price shoppers and only deliver the very best people that were properly positioned to do business with me. And so in the process of me educating myself, I would always go to events. I'd go to conventions and I talked about this technique of using free recorded messages to sift out price shoppers at a seminar uh, that this other guy was doing because they were, you know, saying you should advertise 40% off. And I said, I raised my hand and I'm a young guy, long hair and a ponytail back then. And I raised my hand and said, well, I never advertise price. I always advertise something other than price so that people don't make a buying decision based on price. And I explained it and this guy kind of poo-pooed the idea because, you know, he's like, well, you know, if that works for you, young man, that's really cool. But we know that price discounts work. Two guys uh, during a break asked me, what was that method you were talking about? So I explained it to him and I said, look, I'll, I'll, I'll be happy to sell you a script that I've created, um, you know, in an ad template that you can use as long as you give back, you know, report back the results to me. That would, and so I accidentally got myself into the information marketing business because one of the guys didn't do anything with it. The other guy actually did. But the guy that did something with it made $62,000 within a year of using a free recorded message process that I taught him um, basically in a, in a carpet cleaning business. And, and I will preface this, Bill, by saying that if these methodologies work uh, in a business selling a service nobody wants to buy because no one listening right now would ever want to hire a carpet cleaner because they want to. It's because they kind of have to. It's kind of like getting your oil change. Then these methodologies apply to anyone. And so I said, well, if this worked for these cleaners, what work for other cleaners? And so I identified a need and a niche because I was a convert of my own system. And so I already had methods and, and, and strategies I was using. I just never packaged them up 
and sold them to people in that way. So within my first year of, uh, of offering marketing information products to the cleaning industry, some done through live seminars where I would go in and speak at, at, at events for cleaners, real low price uh, events. Uh, and then I would sell people a package at the event. Uh, I did $250,000 in, in sales of a course. Uh, the first year in business, second year in business, I did half a million. The third year after that is over a million, and it's always been a, it's been a multi-million dollar business since. And you also started hosting your own boot camps or seminars for carpet cleaners. Yeah. Within about a year and a half of doing uh, the the information publishing, I started, um, I, I had a, a base of clients. And once you have a base of clients that have heard you speak, if you're a speaker, or have bought your stuff, if you're an information marketer, or subscribe to your newsletter, if you sell a newsletter, whatever it is, um, you know, you have an audience. And so I started doing multi-three-day events. I was working a lot with a guy by the name of Dan Kennedy, who many people in National Speakers Association know. You know, he has an interesting reputation. <laughs> Mm -hmm. And Dan is a very, you know, clever marketer. And so I started putting together marketing um, boot camps, uh, teaching them how to go deeper with the same methodologies. And they were uh, three-day events, and we would charge $997 a person. And we would offer, uh, you know, additional – I had uh, different speakers. I've done ones where it's just me. I've had other ones where it's, it's different speakers. But these events uh, – my first one had uh, 62 people at it. Uh, my biggest one that I've done had uh, 750 people at at it. Uh, largest audience I've ever spoken with, you know, in front of has been 5,000 people. But for the most part, uh, in the last six years, I have not done a boot camp with, uh, without making revenues of at least $1.2 million to up to $2 million at a boot camp for carpet cleaners. And unlike some seminars where everyone is pitching, everyone's selling from the stage, uh, the audience leaves extraordinarily happy uh, with more direction, more confidence, more capabilities. I do not strip mine my list. I've maintained a very good reputation with my clients. We don't bleed them like some people do in the sell from the stage platforms. Uh, there's a real fine balance. I'm very much a believer in selling, continuing education, and I'm also a big believer uh, in not overselling things or trying to you know overwhelm people with too much stuff so i'm i'm, I'm really interested in, in giving people uh you know just the very best uh training tools and, and things but I've, I've had speakers at my conferences because uh, i know most people national speaker association don't even know who the heck i am um, but i do you know i've had brian tracy you know, robert kiyosaki uh, you know harv ecker uh, sir richard branson tim ferris bill phillips you know uh, Hugh Downs from 2020. I mean, I have a whole slew of of many well-known people throughout the National Speakers Association ranks, and uh, you know they're pr they're pretty awesome. And if I can do this in a small niche of, of cleaners, if anyone listening is in has a topic that's infinitely more sexy or exciting than carpet cleaning, they could probably you know you do some of the same things that I've done. So by definition, I think a professional speaker is an information marketer. Talk to us about going from speaking to the other aspects of information marketing and give us some, some rules to live by or to, to take action by. Yeah. Well, I think you're, you're right. I think everyone in the, uh, the by the very nature of, of, of us as being a speaker, you have information, you have knowledge, you have processes, you have wisdom, you have insights, you have perspectives, you have strategies, you have methodologies. And so speaking is just a way to deliver that. Uh, the way that I look at it is there's three things you need in order to sell something. You 
need a product or service, whatever it is you do. In the speaker world, the product or service is your speech. It's your message. Whatever your product or service is, you have that. Then there's the sales pitch or marketing message is the second thing you need. And the third thing you need is a delivery system. And if someone doesn't learn or understand effective marketing, what they're left with is what they got and how do we tell people about it. Speaking to me is not the business. Speaking is a delivery system. It's a vehicle. It's a mechanism to communicate a message to people to get them to go deeper with your message by delivering training tools in the form of CDs, uh, in the form of uh, DVDs, in the form of online training, memberships, monthly audio series. It could be you know blogs. It could be investing in what it is is you're offering. But I think if every speaker would think of themselves not only as an information marketer, but how do you package that beyond the speech? And you start looking at the speech. You know, some people's speaking businesses are designed to they think that's the the, the business where you you know the client is the the person you're going to speak for whereas i flip it around i look as as the speech is a vehicle to acquire a client so i go and speak to everyone so that they not only can have rapport and either buy into what it is i have to share but it's it's also a vehicle to acquire clients because uh, i you know and a lot of other speakers have said this uh i think you're doing a disservice to people if you actually think that with you could be the greatest motivational speaker on the planet and many of them are personal friends of mine you can be the greatest speaker on the planet uh if in in one hour you are just simply not going to change human behavior there's always the anomaly where someone runs out and changes their life because of the speech but what about the you know 499 that didn't had you equip them with additional learning additional training uh, to go deep with uh, I think you're you're really helping them and you're helping yourself you know if, if you're a really accomplished already information marketer you've got a best-selling book you, you know you're on stages in front of thousands of people you get paid you know fifty thousand hundred thousand dollar fees you know what can you even do to up it beyond that well one um, always sell uh, yourself in terms of uh, high status and pride of spending. Uh, I have the number one selling marketing program in Nightingale Conant. It's been the, the best seller there since 2004 uh, currently. Um, and although I've hooked a couple of other marketers up and they're going to try to beat me this year, but we'll see. And the name of that is? It's uh, Piranha Marketing, the seven success multiplying factors to dominate any industry, any market that you enter. And basically, one of the things I talk about on that program is pride of spending, where one of the psychological elements is that there are some people in the world that only feel good about what they buy is if they spend a lot of money on it. Meaning, uh, when someone uh, spends $100 on a watch, they might want a watch to tell time. When someone spends $10,000 on a Rolex, they're no longer buying a watch, they're jewelry so it's the perception of what people are paying for and what I've learned is that the more that I position myself is like you know when someone's buying something for me it, it fills that psychological need that people buy a Mercedes for or carry an American Express black card or join a VIP club or shop at Neiman Marcus you know I mean what are they they would feel uncomfortable if they were to you know buy a Rolex for 50 bucks it would just seem weird like the, you know and so there's there's an element to that and, and how does that apply to information marketers you're in the arithmetic business uh, if you consider yourself a speaker look at the arithmetic you know and and so position yourself always at the high end uh, there's there's uh, there's less noise there there's there's less competitors so uh, 
in, in terms of uh, things to do, use a 24-hour free recorded message. Put the free recorded message everywhere on your business cards. So if you're out wanting to you know, acquire speaking gigs or letting people know about you, use robotic marketing systems. So tell us a little more about this, this uh, pre-recorded message. This is something that's been out there for a long time. And when I heard you talk about it in the program uh, yesterday, I thought, wow, that's still around. You oh, know? yeah, yeah. And so you have a pre-recorded message on, on everything, your brochure, your business card, where, where people can instantly hear your voice and your message. What, what's on that message? One of the first ones I created for the cleaning industry is 10 minutes long, 10 minutes on how to choose a carpet cleaner so that once people listen to it, they can make an informed, intelligent decision. They knew what it was all about, and it would sift, sort, and screen price shoppers, and that by the time someone listens to it, they're pre-interested, pre-motivated, pre-qualified, and predisposed to do business with me. And so it would have seven questions ask a carpet cleaner before you invite them into your home. Uh, six costly misconceptions about carpet cleaning, eight mistakes to avoid when choosing a carpet cleaner, uh, how to avoid four carpet cleaning ripoffs, you know, crawling critters and crud, a guide to the slime, grime, and livestock that's seeping, creeping, and galloping through your carpet. All this is from memory, by the way. People that are listening, we do not, I do not have my consumer awareness, you know, message script here in front of me. Uh, but so for a speaker, you know, if, if they're going to go to corporate speakers on, you know, management, the five mistakes that event planners make when choosing, you know, a motivational speaker or, you know, the three key elements to that a speaker must talk to in order to, you know, really influence, uh, you know, your employees, you know, whatever. I mean, whatever your topic is, uh, a free recorded message is simply what it is you talk about, what it is your message. If it's an information product, it's about whatever your information products are. And so you just want specifics. So little things like the eight mistakes to avoid when, seven questions to ask when, th- that sort it's of stuff. related to your, your knowledge base. Now, you know, in this Internet age, everyone has uh, little video pieces, audio pieces on their their website. Why do this in addition to what's well, on the website? Well, it's not one or the other. It's it's like in addition. Right. You, 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 you use video. You use audio. Uh, you use print. You use it online. You use it offline. You know, there, there's not just one tool. If there was just one tool, um, you know, it, it would make all of this infinitely easier. The, the reason to do it, though, Bill, is because everyone has access to a telephone. Let, let's take a guy, Dean Graziosi. Most people have seen Dean. Dean is a client of mine. He's got infomercials. He's one of the most successful infomercial marketers. His book, uh, Be a Real Estate Millionaire, um, came out. He was at one of my groups, and he, he was ready to go to press. 25,000 copies of the first run of the book, getting ready to get printed. And he called up and he said, if they stop the presses, literally, and uh, I want to add something to the cover. Uh, And so he added a a free recorded message, uh, like a sticker, but it was actually printed right on the cover of the book. And it basically, you know, don't, you know, before you read this book, call and listen to this 24-hour free recorded message. And someone could be in in Borders or Barnes & Noble. And they could pick up their phone and listen to it before they even buy the book. With a mobile phone. If, if someone's following a carpet cleaner around, we have them on the back of their windows in their vans, on the side of their vans, warning, don't call any carpet cleaner till you listen to this 24-hour free recorded message. Someone could be driving behind a service vehicle with you know, a free recorded message. Put it on your business cards. On my Twitter page, I have a free recorded message. Within a week of putting up my Twitter page, there's a free recorded message, so someone had to use a real telephone. Remember those people? A real telephone, and you you know call, and I, I, you know they bought $3,000 worth of stuff that I sold because I had a free recorded message on my Twitter page. It's just another way to convey uh, information, and it's, it's robotic. 
now beyond that, some of the things that I've done, one of the, I've, I've been a marketing consultant for a guy named Bill Phillips. He wrote uh, his first book was Body for Life. Had a big, uh, you know, supplement company that he sold for three hundred million dollars in nineteen ninety nine called EAS. And his newest uh, book is uh, Transformation. You know, his website's transformation dot com, and. Um, one of the things that I learned with working through Bill was uh, contests. He would do these physique transformation contests where people would join and they would compete for pretty outrageous prizes. His first prize was a Lamborghini and he gave all of the top ten finalists for this that were competing to win a Lamborghini. He decided to give all of them a, a Corvette instead of this Lamborghini and he created this movie about it. So since then thousands of people have been through physique transformation contests and I wanted to figure out how do I actually put this into my world you know it's it's easier to do a contest when you got a before and after photo someone gets in better physical shape you know they take pictures of themselves heavier they get thin or they get more muscular or whatever uh, you know that's easy but how do you do it with an entrepreneur and so with carpet cleaners I created a, a thing called better your best and I spoke about it at a Dan Kennedy conference in 2003 and this is where a lot of information marketers were charging 247 a month for a coaching program but the ceiling in the niche marketing world was about three grand a year and I told Dan I said Dan Kenny I said I want to charge I want to create a ten thousand dollar coaching program for cleaners and I want to give away uh, a, conver a convertible Jaguar that Bill Phillips had given me as a gift for helping to make a ton of money and I said you know I want to create a contest and you know Dan wasn't really sure about the idea but I had a, a big belief in that I think I can do this and so at one of my conferences I actually offered a ten thousand dollar person coaching um, program and it offered this car as a prize. Whoever did the best job of increasing their their gross or net revenue or systemizing their marketing and advertising, they would go through this whole contest where we would track their results. They'd, they'd have to sign an agreement to take a lie detector test if we needed to, submit financials to a CPA. I mean, we were really tracking this, very professionally done. And uh, but the the, the the prize was win this car, which most of them, no matter how much money they made as a result of using my stuff, which they did because I have good stuff, uh, most of them still wouldn't go out and buy a convertible Jaguar. So it was this big, big prize. And what I learned, which is a total strategic byproduct of doing this, is that you can go out and teach people as a speaker goal setting, self-esteem, self-confidence, motivation. You can tell them all kinds of different ways to get their life together in all areas of life. Uh, no matter how much you preach goal setting, most people simply don't do it or they don't take it to the level that they can. And one of the things I've learned is when someone, if you really want to amp up your performance, your effectiveness, always put yourself into a contest mode. If someone is going to run a marathon four months from now, they're going to simply work out differently and eat differently than if they didn't have that there. So what I did is I created this contest model where they, they would compete for something. It could be anything. And what I found is that no matter how great I thought my information was, if you want to increase the usage of it, create a contest that people compete for. Because there's this law which is everything measured improves and everything measured and reported improves exponentially. And so for every speaker that's listening, if you create a system for your clients to take your message, no matter what it is, and create a measuring system so they can track what it is they're doing, that's going to help them. Just that alone is going to help progress. If you know, uh, Now, if they want to step it up, 
create a reporting mechanism where those same people report back to you. It could be online where you simply ask them to post a video, fill out a survey, whatever. That will increase their progress exponentially. And so what I found is by bribing people with this outrageous prize, they took the same information that I was selling over the years and they put more themselves into it. And the way that I explain it is if I had a whole audience of people, I would say, okay, how many of you exercise? And, you know, half the audience or so would raise their hand. And I'll say, you know, how often do you exercise? Someone will say, you know, every day, you know, three times a week, whatever. And I'll make it real simple. I'm like, okay, say you're going to work out uh, three times a week, an hour at a time. So you're going to devote in a week, three hours of your life to exercise. And let's say you cannot change, your diet doesn't change, the amount of sleep doesn't change, the amount of time in the gym doesn't change, um, you know, literally your anxiety level doesn't change. So food stays the same, workout stays the same, everything stays the same. But there is one thing you could change that would increase the results you got in the gym. And people would come up with different answers and stuff, but the answer that I give them is intensity. If you increase your intensity, you're going to get more out of that hour. Everything measured improves, everything measured and reported improves exponentially is a way to increase the intensity of your clients. So as a professional speaker, I would be looking at what can I do within my business to increase the intensity of what my clientele, what my audience gets out of my stuff. So you create a, a contest, you let everyone compete for something. It could be for you know raising you know $10,000 for the Make-A-Wish Foundation, it, whatever. It could be a prize. And there are certain legalities with it. So we do it under a spokesperson contest because there's lottery laws that if you just charge people money to join a group and you're just doing it to win a prize, that's different than having someone compete to be a spokesperson. And when they compete to be a spokesperson, it happens to come with prizes. So you obviously, I'm not giving legal advice. You have to run this by whatever industry you're in. You have to run it by an attorney. But the bottom line is if, if someone creates a contest and gives someone a goal to shoot for, here's what's going to happen. Happen. You're going to have everyone pay more attention to what it is you have to share. You're going to have a higher implementation uh, rate, but what's going to happen is you're going to get the most incredible success stories because it's a spokesperson contest. And so people, by getting people to compete, they actually, the clients create the stuff. And then we'll take all of their contest packets and our coaching curriculums becomes the contest materials that our clients submit. So as an information marketer, I have repackaged the success of all my clients without even having to create anything. So if everyone paid attention to what I just sh shared, I actually gave you a model to have your clients actually create your curriculum and then you can reteach it to anyone that wasn't a finalist or wasn't in the coaching program and the people that are your top 10 finalists, their lives have improved. They want to talk about it. So now you have testimonials. The best testimonials. That you could possibly have. See, that's, that's the dirty little secret no one figured out about Bill Phillips. He's given away all these contest things and stuff, but what he created were the most insane testimonials. I saw his company go from $60 million in revenue to over $200 million in revenue in like a two-year two period as a result of implementing these types of strategies coupled with some marketing stuff that I taught him. Well, to borrow from a famous beer commercial. Brilliant. Yes. <laughs> Joe Polish, thanks for being with us on VOE. You're welcome, and I wish everyone uh, the best of success. Thank you, Bill. One of my favorite segments to bring to you this past year has been the short but powerful tips from the members of NSA's Million Dollar Speaker Group. In this edition of VOE, I've been able to squeeze in two tips. First up is Rory Vaden, MBA. So, Rory Vaden, tell us something that you're doing to make a little money. 
Well, undoubtedly, the most influential piece on the revenue side of our business that has really transformed everything we're doing and how much revenue we're generating is with personal coaching, private coaching. We actually refer to it as private one-on-one consulting. So you make a distinction between consulting and coaching. Yeah, we do because coaching, the, the nomenclature surrounding the word coaching is a little bit different than what we do. We don't follow sort of like the Socratic inquiry method of believing that the client has all the answers. We are much more of a blocking and tackling. They they come to us and we partner with them, but we share with them the best ideas that we're seeing other producers, in our case we're coaching salespeople, other people doing. So it's a lot more of the blocking and tackling and the how-to. So we call that consulting because it's it's sort of the same discovery process we'd go through with a consulting client, but it's just on a one-on-one personal basis. And how much of this consulting coaching one-on-one with these individuals are you doing versus other coaches you've hired to work with you? Yeah, I do a very minimal amount of the personal coaching. If there's any speakers out there that are listening to this, with considering having a coaching model, the the best thing that we did was make our coaching scalable. We created a manual and a curriculum around it and a train-the-trainer process. And when we sell coaching, we sell it on the idea that everybody is a certified coach, but we never sell the idea that it will be a specific person or a specific one of our speakers on our team. And so how have you found these people to, to be your coaches, consultants? It's sort of a unique pool that we work with. We have about 40 full-time employees in our company, and it's mostly the people internally that do do the coaching. So they are all proven sales practitioners, and they come from different backgrounds, but they're all out promoting our conferences and our consulting. So it's mostly internal. We do have a few external coaches, which are just people that we meet and they have sort of an experience in sales and specifically we look for a track record of them actually having been a top producer in some industry. And finally, how do you promote, uh, sell this? Who, who do you promote it to? How do, you do, how do you do that? The primary way that we promote coaching is at our huge motivational sales conferences. So we put on public events. We have 600 to 1,000 people that come to our events and that's the number one method that we use, but also each of our coaches or our private consultants, as we refer to them, they are trained not only in how to deliver the coaching, but how to sell it on their own. And so they do the normal business model things like work their sphere of influence. They hold their own little private public seminars around town, networking events. They can cold call on companies. And then we also have sold a fair amount of coaching through teleseminars from people who get on our Facebook, one of our speakers or our coach's Facebook page, they engage with a chat with us online, and that chat room close leads leads to a one-on-one personal phone call, and then we generate the sale that way. How long have you had this, this model up and running? We first rolled out coaching in August of 2008, but it wasn't very good. <laughs> It's It's been very tight and very solid probably since last April, so April of 2009. And over the last year, our retention has gone from keeping people three and a half months to more like six and a half to seven months. Thank you, Rory Vaden. Great perspective and great idea. 
Each month, I brought you a tip on platform skills from members of our Speakers Hall of Fame, our CPAEs. This month, I interviewed Nito Cobain, CSP, CPAE. Well, Bill, for the first half of my career, I thought that charisma was the answer to everything. So I would speak with charisma, I would be passionate on the platform, I'd frame that with some humor, I'd throw in some substance and content, and I really believe that that is the answer to it all. Then somehow, the second half of my career, I learned that authenticity must always be above charisma. And so I start getting messages from audiences and comments from audiences that said, you're such a sincere person. I really believe in what you said. You spoke to my heart. Uh, Sometimes someone will even say, you know, you caused me some pain today, and I want to thank you for that. And so um, I believe that a truly effective speaker is not focused on himself or herself. They are completely focused on the person's in the audience, not even on the audience, but on the individuals in the audience, that we really speak to them as we would want someone to speak to us, heart to heart, not just head to head. And when we talk about relevant issues, and there truly is substance, audiences respond to that. So authenticity. Second, credibility, that audiences will tune to somebody who is credible. And credibility must be defined by their standards, not by our standards. It doesn't matter that I have all these awards or all these degrees or all these positions. What matters to that particular person in the audience is what did I do in my life that they value and how can I share that with them? So credibility must be defined by them. And third, I believe that there has to be an impact that is sustainable beyond that event. So that when you have left that city and when they have left that conference, how might they remember what you said? Or better still, how might they apply in their life something that you recommended? So when you craft a speech or deliver a speech, how do you, how does that show up? How, what do you, is there something you do differently to be authentic? Is there something you do differently to make sure the message has that sustainability? Well, authenticity is part and parcel of one's persona, so I don't prepare for authenticity. Mm -hmm. It's just the way I speak. I stand up and I just speak from my heart. But I do prepare, and I prepare in this sense. Number one, I must be in the zone, in today's zone, not yesterday's, not tomorrow's, in today's zone. Who is this audience? What are they feeling? I will ask the meeting planner. What are some of the challenges they're feeling? Talk to me about their emotions. How are they responding? If they're succeeding, how and why? And how does that show up in their life? So I get in the zone. Second, I ask questions like, what can I say today that from your experience with this group can truly make a difference? Or what, what might I do that they would not appreciate, they would not find to be useful? So I truly try to connect to that audience. Then I say to myself, what do I know? And what can I deliver? What vignettes have I perfected that would be a good fit here? But, you know, my style, I suspect like many people's style, is I begin the first two, three minutes and I'm feeling out the crowd. I'll throw in a funny line, I'll say something substantive, and I'll do something, you know, um, something else that relates to them to just see what the mood of the hour is. And then that sort of defines where you go from there. Thank you, Nito. Mike Frank is a CSP, CPAE, Cavett Award winner, and past president of NSA. Not only is he a speaker, he's the owner of the fifth oldest speakers bureau in the country, Speakers Unlimited. 
so he sees our business from two perspectives, that of a speaker and also of a bureau. Here's a great idea from Mike. One of the things that is a reality in today's situation, there's no doubt, the clients want more customized programs. They want more content. I really feel that in our business, having seen hundreds of speakers over the years, that the ability to customize has gotten, uh, is, is being lost because speakers think they're customizing. Um, we have recently, and I don't mind mentioning the name, I'm thrilled to mention the name because he's a legend in our business, Joel Weldon. Just recently had two bookings with him. <clears throat> I have never seen a more customized program in all my years in the business as the two that he's done and the follow-up that he's doing. He does follow-ups like you can't imagine. And He's the epitome of trying to do what the client is looking for. Tell us a little bit about what he does. He, and I also used to question the fact that he always says that he spends 50 hours preparing for a program. I couldn't imagine. I mean, I prepare three or four hours for each program, and I think that's a fair amount of customization. Nothing. He interviews 10, as many people as they'll let him interview. He interviews them in advance, and not for five minutes. He'll spend 20, 30, 40 minutes with each one of them. He creates custom slides for the entire program. He brings the people's names into the program, up one side and down the other. He finds out how they sell, what they sell, where they sell it, who the competition is. He knows more about the, uh, <clears throat> the meeting planner than one could possibly imagine because he, he wants to bring the meeting planner into the picture, not just by mentioning their name, but by mentioning the things that the meeting planner really is. is. So it, it's just a delight to see it. And I think we've all known Joel as being that entity, but he's better than ever at, at that. And we've got to all come back to realize it, that we've got to do more of this customization. And you mentioned that he follows up uh, in ways that most speakers don't. He gets the client's permission on all of the handouts, on all of the, every direction he's going to take to be sure he's not stepping on feet because it's easy for us. When we start customizing, it is easy to step on feet mm-hmm. without meaning to. Mm-hmm. His follow-up is an email form that goes, he's got, I'm working on the third follow-up email to everybody in the audience based upon the client's acceptance and willingness to have him do that. So it, 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 it is the ultimate extent. You know, I've always said Jeannie Robertson and Patricia Fripp are the ultimate extent in, in their preparation. Uh, and, and I think all of us have just got to come to grips with the fact of doing more and more of that along the way. That's a great lesson for all of us, whatever level we're at. Richard Wildman is a CSP and CPAE. He's a very successful speaker and businessman. He's also been a friend and a mentor to me. I admire Richard's success, his appreciation for the finer things in life. He turned me on to a great wine while at the CSP CPA Summit in Dallas this past April. And I admire his willingness to tell it like it is, to share his truth as he sees it. Uh, Richard, you've been at this for quite a long time. You've been extremely successful. Take us back to the early days a little bit. Uh, How did you get started in this business? Uh, what are some of the critical decisions you made to, to move your business to a viable one early on? Well, the most important decision I think I made is after I had left my last sales and marketing position, I was sitting at the corner of Piedmont and Peachtree in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I'm a man of faith. I got thinking about it and pray about it. I said, Lord, I'm real available. And I really felt compelled to speak. And I had done sales meetings for many, many years. I had file cabinets full doing three a week with a large sales force. We had been very, very successful in the publishing business. So I went back, called a speaker bureau, figured a place to start. And because I'd heard of them, we'd hired speakers over the years in the company. They told me everything I need 
to be able to be successful. And I hung up and thought, wow, we always hired a speaker and never saw any of those things. So maybe what I'll do is just get the phone book and start calling. So I did. I started with the A's. And by the third phone call, I had an appointment and ended up doing their national convention because of my background was very deep in marketing to the affluent and selling to the affluent. That's the space that I had worked in in various jobs that I'd had. Uh, the early years were really tough. It was uh, book a date, do everything you could to get paid. Very fa- In fact, my very first check bounced that I got paid. So that, of course, was a real word of encouragement. And then I went to an NSA convention in San Francisco many years ago. I came around the corner and ran into an old friend of mine. And he said to me, it was Don Hudson. And he said, Richard, what are you doing here? And I said, well, I've decided to get in the speaking business. He said, you're going to be great at it, which was, you know, a wonderful just thank you, you know. My mind was, how do you know that? You know, I mean, but I began and started off, and that was the beginning of the process. I made a lot of decisions along the way. One, that I was going to discount some advice I had been given, and some of the advice I had been given by several members of NSA and other places was, Richard, you know, you have enough knowledge in several industries. You could speak anywhere in any industry. Uh, I began to realize pretty quickly to try to be all things to all people is a very difficult exercise. From business experience, I knew that you spread yourself pretty thin. I also realized I need to cash flow the business, so I immediately began to ask for 50% deposit right up front. Um, and I never really got any pushback, but it helped me cash flow the business and move along. I didn't have any support, of course, uh, in, that, in those early days. And I think the other thing that really made a difference was the fact that uh, every speaking engagement I got, I began to analyze it and said, is this an industry in which I would like to speak? And of course, I did many before I got to that place. And so did you make a decision to focus on a specific industry and, and take us up to where you are today? What does your business model look like today? Okay, as far as focusing on an industry, it really sort of happened by accident. It was back to my evaluation of every speaking engagement. And I spoke for a group in the financial services world, in the insurance sector. As you know, there are several sectors in that market. And um, I was to speak for 45 minutes. I did answer questions for an hour and a half. When I left this, that room, small group, about 30 or 40 insurance agents, I said to myself, these people really need help in the area of how to market to affluent people, and I've had a whole lifetime of that experience. So that began the odyssey of focusing on financial services. Uh, I first spoke in the insurance world, um, began to speak at agency, small offices, you know, not charging a lot of money, but it was very good, and they loved the material, and the word of mouth was great. And so I began to realize word of mouth was a powerful part of the model. I also began to realize that being very topical was critical, and being tactical was essential. They didn't want to know what to do. They were very much, tell us exactly how to do this. Not just what do you think, but tell us from your experience. So I began to rely on my experience, and I think every speaker should, you know, really focus on your experience because you can argue with opinion, but it's tough to argue with experience. So the long and the short of it was I was invited to speak after about eight months at a national convention for the insurance industry, ran out there and did it. Didn't think, you know, I thought, what am I doing here? And I was speaking for free because this guy had booked me three times to speak in his agency. Long story short, uh, I did the session. It was supposed to be a breakout on how to market your practice to the affluent. It was all managers. Um, I ended up with 350 managers out of 1,000 people at the convention in my breakout, standing room only. When I was done, I had over 20, I think it was 21 or 22 CEOs came up and said, how can you work with us? And there began the realization that that people will really respond to you, particularly if you have a message that is experiential, that is strategic, and as well as tactical, and really helps them. 
And what do you think the benefit is to you as a speaker, as well as to your clients, of you picking that niche and staying with it? Well, several things. Let's from the client's perspective, they know that I understand their situation. Secondly, they look to us proactively now. They don't call my office looking for a speaker. They look for solutions. We've added some people on my staff. I, I'm chairman now, and I've, I've moved a, uh, one of my staff people to president, and I have two other people that speak. But they don't call us for speakers. They call us to solve the problem. So the first thing is the benefit to the client is they begin to see you very quickly as a resource to them. They see you as someone who understands their situation, and now. I think over the years, they've really begun to realize, and our business model is they call us to and ask us, what do you think's next? Because that's what we're thinking about all the time, and that's what I've done in product line and another. I think the benefit to me individually, quite frankly, is that it's helped me to grow the business with a slimmer marketing margin than one would normally do or investment. And I think the reason is, quite frankly, the word of mouth, as I mentioned early on. And I think the second part is, to some extent, you sort of become famous in that market for a certain area of expertise. And it's grown. I mean, we not only do the insurance world, we do the advisory world, and of course, now we do the banking world. So we're in all three sectors, and and we're fortunate there. So let's focus on what your business looks like now. Tell me a little bit about your model, about your offerings. I know you have the Wildman Center, which is very exciting. Uh, I know that I see your video training program everywhere I sell my video training program. They already have the Wildman program, and you know that many, many of the folks out there are using both of our programs in concert with each other. Mm-hmm. So tell us about the video training program, about uh, the, the Wildman Center, and just the different ways that you're bringing value to the marketplace and making money doing it. Okay. Uh, we really have in the practice, we have a variety of offerings. One is consulting, and we do, and that's, so if you, somebody calls in the office, what do you do? We can consult with you on putting together marketing plans, putting together strategic plan, branding plans, et cetera. Secondly, we do speaking in the industry to help empower people to understand the importance of changing behavior and moving forward and new ideas. I'm fortunate to serve on the luxury board in New York, so we're able to share ideas about what's going on in the affluent marketplace, and people know this. And then the third piece is that we develop educational products and platforms, and those includes DVDs, which we sell, coupled with workbooks. And we also, um, last year I launched the Weilman Center, and which is an online university for financial advisors, and they come in and sign themselves up. Companies buy it as well. The other thing is that, and, and the fourth piece of the puzzle is coaching. And I was a reluctant coach in the sense that we, we're not accountability coaches. Let's help you get moving forward. Some very dear friends of mine in the industry are excellent at it. That's not what we do. What we decided to do after I built the coaching platform is to build the online university. And now when we coach people, we coach them on execution, helping them execute, but they take the classes online. So let's say we're talking to them twice a month, just as an example. It works out very well. They take the class and then we help them execute. So it's brought a lot of value to the coaching. Uh, we got a lot of um, requests for it. We have firms, we just had a firm the other day called in and they got 80 teams they want to give us because they know that they not only get calls, but they have online opportunities for education. So all of those pieces come together. As far as a business model, a lot of people say, well, you know, uh, what drives the business? It used to be speaking drove the business. In other words, you got on a platform, somebody ran up and said, would you help us consult? And the other side is, then you can sell DVDs. Our business is completely opposite of that. We are so well known for our educational products and our educational services and the depth of uh, execution coaching that what firms do is they call us to buy the product or to buy the online university and then say, now, will you help us 
us roll it out? Will you help us make the message? So I've seen a complete reversal, and I believe that's where this industry is headed. I really believe that the online, uh, everybody talks about Twitter and Facebook and social networking, and that's all wonderful, but in the end, it's all about education. And firms today want to educate their people, and just in time, online is where this, where we see it going. We started two, two and a half years ago to build a university, and it's amazing how many firms are calling and said, okay, we're ready now. We see it. We get it. We want it. So our business model is really driven by delivering education uh, along in an inspirational way, tactical and practical, so people can execute, supported by coaching when necessary, speaking to get the message out, and then consulting to help change the culture so that the execution remains constant. That's great. Tell us a little more about the Wildman Center. Uh, if anyone wants to take a look online, I guess they just go to wildmancenter.com. Is that correct? That is correct. And it, you have it set up like a university. The, the, the graphics you use are, are quite nice. Just explain a little bit of it. Just very quickly, um, I just had the vision uh, several years ago that online was next. And I knew people that were online weren't making any money, but I could see that this word had to go. Uh, now I say I could see it. it. It just, you know, it's part of its intuition, part of its faith, part of its like talking to individuals in the industry. And they're all saying, boy, we're struggling with all these classes and traveling people around. The more I thought about it, I thought, okay, what's next? Because that's what I'm always thinking about. You know, as chairman of the firm, now I'm thinking about what's next. So long story short, um, I had a division to create a, a campus where people actually go online. And in the online university, there are 41 different courses and classes they can take in the building. And they go, they click on the building, go right in the foyer, and they choose the classroom they want to go. And they go take the course based on their level of expertise or management. Then they can go across the plaza, so to speak, back to your campus idea. And it looks just like a campus. And they go to the research building. And let's say they want to work with chiropractors in North Carolina. They just type in chiropractors. It hot links right to the chiropractic site in North Carolina and drills down right to the local members. So it's a fabulous tool to help an individual understand. And then there's another piece where we have all of our coaching and how shall we say, execution tools in another building called a resource center. And all of this has been evolution, not from us. I mean, you know, people say, oh, Richard, it was a great idea. That's not really the point. The point is, it really evolved from clients. Tell me some mistakes you've made along the way and what you've learned from them. I believe uh, a couple of things. One, I didn't build enough infrastructure quick enough. We had an explosive growth, partly because we came up with a unique way to sell product. Uh, I've had many iterations of videos. Somebody, You mentioned my video learning system, the core one that's used in financial services, and then we have 40 other courses that sell along with it, alongside it. But what I do is when we sell a course, we produced a course in, what was it, 1989? I did my first one. I did my update in 97. We had 1,000 companies using it. And I said, well, okay, we're going to give all those companies an opportunity to trade in. And people, you know, and, and frankly, I got friends at NSA that say, you're nuts. And they're not going to trade in those videos. And I said, yeah, they will. We'll give them a great price. And what was amazing is that nearly a 1,000 of them traded in within three months. I had two full-time guys doing nothing but putting boxes together to get the stuff shipped. So I didn't build enough infrastructure. Secondly, I hung on pretty tight to running the company um, about – Eight years ago, I came to the conclusion that it wasn't about running it. It was about the creative growing it. And so I began to build 
uh, executive infrastructure, and now it's really paid off. I mean, I have an executive vice president, I have a president of the firm who's been with me many years, a VP of marketing, who's truly a VP. She runs it all. Um, I have two senior vice presidents run East and West Coast in those offices, and when we get into distributorships, which we think is the next thing, they will run that. So my role is chairman. I don't spend any time running the business. Um, I'm involved at a high level in discussions once a month, but that's it. I mean, I work creatively. So the big dis- this mistake I made is I hung on too long as an entrepreneur, and I wish I had done it, you know, instead of eight years ago, maybe I should have done it 15 years ago would have been a good idea. I think the other thing that we often make a mistake is that uh, we lose the value in our mind of what we really are able to deliver to the client. That's a mistake that I made. I I didn't raise prices fast enough, not just in speaking, but in product. And I think the third thing is, in the early years, the biggest mistake I made is I be I was trying to put together what I thought they needed, and what dawned on me, it didn't care what I think, as I mentioned earlier. It's really about what they think. And if you poll your clients, you'd be shocked in your prospect. You'd be shocked and amazed. Most of us try to fit programs together based on how what we want to deliver. You know, who cares what we think? That's the biggest mistake. We all think as entrepreneurs and speakers, well, here's what I think. With all due respect, a client could care less. What they want to know, can you think like I think? Can you market to me based on my verbiage? Can you bring to me solutions that solve my problems? Richard Wildman, thank you so much for uh, all that you've done for this industry over the years and for being on BOE today. My pleasure, and thank you so much, Bill. It's been a privilege. You have staff, but you don't always delegate as well as you know you should. Here's Jeff Davidson with a few helpful ideas. So, Jeff Davidson, in our final segment, and these have all been great, thank you so much. This is one that's uh, dear to my heart, and that is delegating. Thinking that I'm the only one with the skill, that I can't trust others to do it correctly, I can't find good help. Talk to us about that. The sooner you can get over those notions, the better. (laughs) It It is true that there are some things we do Uh, that just cannot be duplicated by help that is reasonably available to us. However, the critical issue is this. Have you identified the handful of things that you and you alone must do? I'll give you an example of myself, and then everyone listening can fill in the blanks for themselves. In my career, I have figured out that I must give the speeches. I can't have anybody else show up and be the one who's on stage. I must write the books when I have a publishing contract. No one else can do that. And I must be the one who deals with the clients and publishers and meeting planners. I must deal in the liaison. Those are the three things I must do. Now, this is the important part. Everything else is up for grabs. If I can find anybody who can do everything other than those three things, I use them. Here's how important it is to delegate. Every time you can hand off something to somebody else, even if they can only do 90% of the job you could, and maybe they take a little longer, and maybe it's not quite the way you would have done it, but if it is sufficient so that your operation continues to hum then it is worth doing. You want to get to the stage where you are joyfully writing checks to the people you've hired because every time you write a check and you pay them for the work they've done, that represents all kinds of time and energy 
that you preserved for yourself so that you can be fabulous on stage, you can be fabulous as a writer, you can be fabulous when the reporter calls and you're giving an interview, you can be fabulous when you're recording a CD, you can be fabulous when you're on the phone trying to induce somebody to do business with you because you had the wherewithal to cast off everything but the handful of things that you must do. Now people always ask, well, where do you find the right people? Or, you know, good help is so hard to find. If you live in a metropolitan area in the U.S. or Europe or Asia, wherever, you can draw a five or ten mile radius around your location and I guarantee within that five or ten mile radius you can find enough talent to sustain your business for the rest of your career. These days you can place ads on the various job boards, you can use Craigslist, you can use the university job placement centers, many, many ways to find talent. But even when we find the talent, what often happens is we're not using the capabilities of the people who are right in our own offices. So on a regular basis, I suggest you go back and you read their resumes. You go back and you read the application that they filled out, if they happen to fill out one or you have one in your business. There are skills lying dormant in terms of your speaking practice on the part of your staff that you have not engaged. You may be looking for other people when right across the aisle from you. So you've got to have a firm understanding of exactly what the people who are already helping you can help you do even further. Jeff, I know you use a term um, or expression, working side by side. Uh, talk to us about that a little bit. Side by side is a wonderful way to get things done in ways that you could not otherwise accomplish by yourself. A prime example is this. I do not want to be the one to manage my own website. Even if I could learn all the things that I needed to do, it would not be an efficient use of my time. So I have a highly competent university grad student who figures things out in a nanosecond who comes in and sits three feet from me and puts his computer on. We've got the Wi-Fi set up and I will explain what I want to have done. While he's sitting next to me. We're side by side. He goes to work on it. While he goes to work on the problem I've just laid out in real time with as much explanation and drawings or diagrams or pointing or visiting screens as we need, I turn back to my work. I answer email. I finish up something I've been writing. I even make phone calls softly. He can ask me questions in real time. He can say, is it like this? Do you want it a little more, you know, that way, this way? We can tweak. And so I'm delegating, but I'm delegating to somebody who's right by my side. Instead of trying to do some of this long distance or remote work that I'm not knocking it. It works very well for many people. But there are some issues where if the talent is in, at arm's length, you will accomplish more in a morning than you can believe. Jeff Davidson, thank you for your contributions to DOE this past year. Here's that second million-dollar speaker tip I promised. So with me is Marjorie Brody of Brody Professional Development, CSP, CPAE, on the board of NSA. 
Marjorie, give us one tip that we can take to the bank. Well, I think we can take gold to the bank, and the gold is mining our own databases. So I'm going to make the assumption that everyone in NSA has been building a database, critical, but not just build it, it's actually do something with it. And although most uh, contact management systems have callbacks, those are very specific dates that have been scheduled. What I do, and although my staff is doing the, the callbacks, I get on the phone personally, and I thank people for booking us and working with us as, uh, as a business partner and want to know what we can do to improve and how we can partner with them for ongoing work. And it's amazing. They're so surprised that I'm actually making the calls and not my account managers, and then I'm not asking them for anything. I'm just saying, how can we help you? And um, often business comes out of it, and certainly relationships come out of it, which ultimately lead to more business. So mind the database. And I get on the phone emails, and keep in touch with people. Out of sight is out of mind. Thank you, Marjorie. You know, once we get busy with all our various projects and reach a certain level of success, it's often easy to overlook what brought us to our success and what it takes to sustain and even increase our business. Here's our president, Kristen Arnold, with her final segment for VOE. David Letterman has his top 10, and so do I. Here are my top 10 insights while serving as your NSA president. Number one, never check email after dinner or 7 p.m., whichever comes first. Even the slightest nuance, idea, or member concern will rattle around in my head throughout the night. Number two, it's the people. I'm often asked, what's the best part of being president? Hands down, it's the people I've met. Learning from and leaning on people who have been there before you, who are going through the same trials and tribulations, and helping those who are traveling the same road I've just traveled. It's that spirit of caring and sharing, and it's the love of speaking that holds our NSA community together. Number three, speaking is just a part of your expertise empire. Now, I don't know of too many speakers who simply give a speech, and that's it. Oh, maybe a humorist or pure motivational keynoter, But most of us share our expertise or inspiration in various formats. A traditional speech, otherwise known as a keynote, general session, or even breakout session. We do training, coaching, consulting, and my own personal favorite, facilitation. And many of us provide complementary products and services that allow our clients to access the depth and breadth of our expertise at their leisure and at their own pace. Now, theoretically, all of your offerings should line up to support your expertise empire. Start out with one modality. Become really proficient in that distribution channel. Then, as you become more confident and more of an expert, you can branch out at your own pace. NSA is really all about helping you monetize that expertise through the spoken word, either face-to-face or virtually, through a multitude of modalities. Number four. Go get yourself some experience. I was chatting with a speaker who said his area of expertise was on leadership. So I innocently asked, so what have you led? And he told me it was none of my business. Hmm. I then discovered he had never managed nor led any organization. Nothing beats experience when talking about your area of expertise. Some call it practice what you preach. I call it eating your own dog food. If you talk about it, you should practice those same principles on and off the platform. And it should be so ingrained in your MO, your DNA, or tattooed on your rear end like one of my clients who manages assets. 
You think I'm kidding? She actually got a tattoo on her ass sets. And I went and got myself a heap of experience at NSA when it comes to strategic planning, facilitating board meetings, and building a team. Number five, we are in a deceptively complex business. Want to speak more? Be an expert in your field. Go get yourself some experience. Reach out to prospects and clients. Have a brilliant solution to their problem. Deliver on your promise and be amazing on the platform. All of this means you have to bring your A-game each and every time you're in front of your client. That's all. Sounds simple, doesn't it? While it's easy to get into this business, it's becoming harder and harder to stay in this business. I don't think we're ever going to be able to wind the clock back to the good old days. We're living in the new normal, and the NSA community is here to support you as you grow your business. Number six. Don't drink the NSA Kool-Aid. I'm often puzzled when people say, NSA says do it this way, or everyone at NSA says you must do so-and-so. Well, who do you think NSA is? Go ahead. Point to NSA. NSA isn't one person. NSA is a community of volunteers who all have opinions and will be happy to share those opinions with you. I don't think there's a formulaic right or wrong way to be successful in this business. Okay, there are some legal and ethical standards that we have in place, but for goodness sake, find your own voice and your own path to success. Don't adopt everything you hear at NSA as the gosh honest truth. That's called drinking the Kool-Aid. Sift through those great ideas that really resonate with you and then adapt them to your own business model. Throw out the rest. Better yet, be a thought leader and create your own unique path that is congruent with who you are, your DNA, and your brand promise. Number seven, we are living in the era of engagement. People want to contribute, to provide input, to comment on what's happening in their world. As professional speakers, the more we can ask for the audience's contributions and comments up front, the better we can create an event that really connects with our audiences and that they'll want to keep that conversation flowing long after the presentation through blogs, listservs, and discussion groups. Social networking is all about starting and keeping communities connected and the conversation flowing. We haven't even begun to tap into the possibilities to connect with our clients, prospects, and with the entire world. As professional speakers, we must not only dip our toe into that water, but dive right on in, not only to connect with our audiences, but to show our clients how to connect with their audiences as well. NSA has jumped into the social networking, being active on Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube. We have a presidential blog and a new email called Speaker Line that distributes online real-time information that helps you build your business. And we're continuing to look at new ways to keep our members engaged and connected with each other. Number eight, keep it small, focused, and face-to-face. -face. So here's the curious thing. When 9-11 hit, and then when the global economy crashed and burned in 2008, the prognosis for the meetings industry was, mm, well, not so great. Theoretically, all of the meetings were going to shift to the virtual world, but that has not been the case. What's happened is a global trend towards fewer meetings, smaller meetings, and with the content more tightly focused. 
And interestingly enough, the value of these face-to-face meetings has become much higher as people are investing their time specifically in order to meet face-to-face. Meetings are also becoming smaller in number of attendees physically present, with an extended reach beyond the four walls of the meeting. These hybrid meetings include streaming video and content discussions running at the same time as the actual event so people outside the room can participate in real time. You can see this trend play out at NSA, our chapters, and in the Global Speakers Federation. Number nine, the world is indeed flat. We are living in a global economy, and NSA US is the 800-pound gorilla in the professional speaking community. We are the world's largest and oldest association dedicated to the art and the business of professional speaking. Our sister associations in the Global Speakers Federation look to us for leadership, and oftentimes they look to us to set the standards. It is imperative that the GSF continues to be a leader in this global community and that we are proactive and supportive in their efforts to raise the bar around the world. As a side note, I also ask each of you to be a gracious host to our international colleagues during Influence 11, our annual convention in Anaheim that is just days away. Number 10. Leadership is not about immediate gratification. Especially with a volunteer association steeped in tradition, suffice it to say that you won't see immediate results. It is the long-term progress to our strategic plan that keeps us focused and motivated. I'm deeply honored by your faith and trust in me as we steer this big ship called NSA toward greater value to our members. And I thank you for the tremendous opportunity to serve you and represent you throughout the United States and the world. We'll see you in Anaheim very soon. Kristen Arnold, thank you for trusting me to handle VOE this past year, and thank you for all your service to NSA. Starting in September, you can look forward to a VOE brought to you by Brian Walter. Brian, I hope you have as much fun and learn as much as I did with Voices of Experience. This is Bill Cates reminding you that ideas do not make you more successful. Only acting on ideas will make you more successful. Thank you for the opportunity to serve you, members of NSA. We'll see you in Anaheim at the convention. Thanks for listening. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.